everyone, and welcome to episode 309 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Zeth, probably better known as Zephron Olive, and we have the full crew here this holiday week, starting with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going, Richard? Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, Seth. I'm doing well. What's going on? Uh, I mean, not a whole lot. We're kind of in a dead spot in the magic calendar. Uh, wizards, everyone takes off during the holidays, so we don't get official Wizards news. We're waiting for Kaldheim spoilers. But we actually have a pretty interesting, fun, special topic to wrap up our last podcast of the year with today. But before we get to all that, we got another co-host in Krim. Happy holidays, Krim. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, Pretty excited for all things going on today's episode because uh, well yeah what, what why don't you lead us into it <laughs> okay so so what are we doing for our podcast today and we decided since it's kind of a a slow week without a lot of magic news we're gonna do something a little bit different and we're going to make for this week richard the host of the podcast and we're going to dedicate the entire cast to going back through our standard spoiler predictions of the past year so as you probably know, every time there's a new set, Krim and I do top 10 videos where we talk about the 10 cards we think are going to be best for various formats. So today, we're focusing on standard, and we're starting with Throne of Eldraine, the earliest set that's still standard legal, going all the way up through Zendikar Rising. And for each set, we have some uh, some clips from when we initially did the videos and podcasts that Richard's going to play and kind of host and walk us through. And we're going to talk about, for each set, the pick that we got most right, I guess you would say, our best pick, our worst pick, so a card that we put on our top 10 list that probably didn't deserve to be in our top 10 list with the benefit of hindsight, and then an omission, our biggest omission from the list. What was a card that we definitely should have had on our top 10 list now that we can look back and see how standard shook out, but didn't have on our top 10 list of the time? So we're going to kind of investigate our good and our bad spoiler predictions from the past year with Richard guiding us through. But before we jump it over to Richard, we have a sponsor today. And our show today is brought to you by the fine folks over at Card Conduit. And if you've ever struggled with selling your magic cards, just the amount of time it takes to sort everything, type them into various websites, packing them up, shipping them, going to the post office, all that stuff. It's a big hassle. Well, Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. And if you're looking to avoid all those hassles I was talking about and all the time it takes to sell your cards, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can get a 10% discount by going over to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And Richard, I'm going to bounce it over to you. Why don't you guide us through the good, the bad, the ugly of our spoiler predictions? One thing I will say... I'm not really sure what's on our list. Uh, Krim definitely doesn't know. I helped uh, our editor, <laughs> Nidashuk, put together the list a little bit, but I don't actually know what ended up. So uh, most of this list is done by other people. So our good and our bad predictions were not judged by us necessarily, but kind of an independent outside observer. And it's going to be a surprise, I think, to both of us to see what we got right, what we got wrong, and what shows up on the list. So Richard, take it away. Guide us through the good, the bad, and ugly of our 2020. Spoiler predictions. I I just want to say before we go into that, no matter whatever I put Oko at, I, I was already wrong. It needs to be higher. <laughs> all right, all right. Fear not, guys. The internet is a kind and loving place where yes. in the hundreds of hours of content we create every year, it's recorded 
in the history of time forever and archived for our editor to pull up and for us to review. <laughs> uh, so thanks to our editor for pulling out the clips. But we're going to start with Eldrain, technically uh, 2019, but it is part of our current standard. Uh, so we will start with our biggest hit uh, and probably the biggest hit of every format and everybody. Uh, let's play the clip. Number eight on our list, we have Planeswalker number one, Oko Thief of the Crowns. And this is a card for me. When I first read, this was, I think, one of the first cards, maybe the first card that was spoiled from the set. When I first read it, I was like, oh, what's the food? Is that going to be good? I don't know about all these abilities. But now that we see the full set and the support for food and some of the synergies of Oku, it's been steadily creeping up my list of uh, cards that I'm really excited for for Throne of Eldraine Standard. But what do you think about this one, Grim? Not getting enough attention. <laughs> like, I think it's not getting enough praise uh, going into, like, the release here. Imagine this on turn two with the goose. Oh, that's even <laughs> even better. So, yeah, I, I I almost think we might have Oku underrated, if anything, on yeah. this list. Like, seeing it number eight, like, at first it wasn't on my list at all. Now we got it on number eight. And when we look back on this, it might be that we're actually underrating it having it number eight, I think. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> All right, number eight, you guys. <laughs> number eight, and we know this is the past because Seth doesn't even know the name of Infamous Planeswalker. It's Oku. 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 He hasn't Oku. he hasn't been traumatized by the Thief of Crowns yet. So Oku at number eight. Way to go, I, Seth. I mean, <laughs> you broke I, the. <laughs> How do I mispronounce a three-letter word? That is impressive even for my standards of mispronunciations. I mean, on one hand, obviously Oko should have been number one on the list. Like, with the benefit of hindsight, I think it's clearly the number one card without a shadow of a doubt. Probably the number one card of the entire past year of Magic. On the other hand... You specifically, Krim, said you thought we were maybe even underrating it. So I feel like even though we should have had it higher, we were at least heading in the direction of it being even better than our number eight ranking. I Like, I, I honestly feel like that card should just... I mean, I, I don't think I had it my number one, but I definitely thought it would have been in my top, like, top five. And yeah. so, like, and, 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 like, just because, like, like I... I guess I was right. Turns out that did end up happening. Look at that. Goose into the Oko on two. The goose went loose and then so did Oko. Like, it was the, absolutely... The once upon a time to make sure you get the goose. Uh, I think yeah. this is from a standard video. Uh, little did we know that Oko would go on to dominate literally every other format in Magic. Uh, all the way back to Vintage with uh, even the infamous Black Lotus Elk getting in there. <laughs> So, so yeah, I, I think just everyone under, we knew the card was strong, but we didn't know how strong and we didn't know the destruction it would lay to all the formats. <laughs> yeah. Like it's funny because even, even hearing it back now, I still think I underrated it. <laughs> <laughs> even after I, I he's mean, banned under it, watch out. You might pop up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still ready. I'm still playing around it <laughs> out of the sideboard. It's, I mean, the card is absolutely nuts. 
I think, though, no matter what we said, we'd be underrating it. Unless we literally went on our spoiler videos and said, this is the greatest magic card in the history, the entire oh. history of the game, which would be a pretty bold statement for any card during spoiler season. Like, unless we went that far, we would we'd be underrating it by default, because that's how good Oko turned out. I'm, I'm going to just say it now. If there's a new Planeswalker that relies on some kind of alternate, like, resource in the game, best card best card of the game. And, and actually, no, no. It, it, specifically, Oko is just, yeah. It's got it. Unless we said this is just straight up the best card ever printed. Yeah, it was definitely underrated. I agree with that. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next card. Okay. So as we know, the entire Knights tribe is absurdly pushed. This, this set, is circle right? of loyalty. We, we, we all agree on that. So <laughs> I, I think this, this, the circle of loyalty is just absurdly powerful. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree there. And kind of like what we were talking about with Wildmorn Preserver, Knights, very aggressive tribe. The risk is you run out of cards. So this feels mm-hmm. like a card that's just built to be very strong in Knights. And Knights feel like a tribe to me that Wizards wanted to make sure it would be standard playable. If you just read the list of Knights, yeah. I can't imagine that there's not a competitive Knight deck coming out of Throne of Eldraine. Yeah. I, uh, I can't imagine. Hold, hold. <laughs> technically, that is true. Rakdos Knights writing zeros. Yeah. If we don't right talk colors. about what the what card we were actually talking about, <laughs> it is true, right? I mean, I mean, Rakdos Knights existed. Mardu Knights, maybe not as much. Yeah, I think our miss here, at least for me, is. Not so much Circle of Loyalty itself, which I still, if I just read Circle of Loyalty, it still seems like a really good card for a knight deck. Like, the problem is, I think I thought knights as a tribe were going to be better than than they ended up being. Yes, we did see a little bit of, like, Rakdos knights here and there. Have not seen really any Circle of Loyalties, though, show up in Standard, so... This was, this was a pretty big miss, I guess. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because... Uh, I, I don't have our list in front of us from Throne of Alderaan at the moment, but yeah. I'm guessing we probably didn't have the Great Henge on our standard list, and we might not have had Embercleave on our standard list, so somehow we managed to pick, like, the least playable of one of the most playable cycles <laughs> for the entire set, but we somehow honed in on the circle of loyalty <laughs> over the actual busted cards. We had a pretty good chance, right, of landing on one of the playable ones, but, you know, we... uh <laughs> threw some darts and entirely missed. <laughs> you, you didn't you didn't account for the fact that Circle of Loyalty is just an elk. Uh so yeah. it really does nothing. <laughs> uh and yeah, if Oko was number eight, I'm pretty sure Circle of Loyalty was higher than that. So uh yeah. Uh let's move on to omissions. Next on our list, speaking of weird cards, we have Embercleave. It's really difficult to evaluate. If you have four attacking creatures and one of those creatures is big, then Embercleave is probably pretty good. You cast it for two mana, it's teamer battle rage. That was a card that's all play in standard, still see play in modern with Death Shadow. On the other hand, that's kind of a specific condition. You need to have a lot of creatures on the battlefield, because if you're casting this for like six mana, much less exciting. Even five or four mana, again, not that exciting. So it's gonna take some work to find a deck for Embercleave to really fit into. On the other hand, maybe something just like gruel stuff this feels like a combat trick a pump spell it's a little weird that it's mythic maybe we'll see more equipment support and throne of Eldorain than we've gotten so far maybe it's still coming down the pike so overall i really have literally no idea how to evaluate this card i could see it be a scary combo piece that maybe ends the game with crackling drakes or prowess creatures 
similar to Teamer Battle Rage in Modern, or when it was in Standard, or I could see it being just absolutely unplayable, no one does anything with it, maybe it shows up in a Commander deck once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it shows up in a commander deck. Uh, this was taken from a daily spoiler because it was so disrespected. It did not make your top 10 standard card list. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty big miss. I guess in my defense, I did mention Gruel stuff, which is a way that Embercleave has seen a lot of play. So there, there's a little bit of rightness in there. But honestly, even with how busted Throne of Alderaan ended up being, I think looking back on it, it would definitely deserve to be in the top 10 and probably like in the top five, even considering the amount of cards, the Okos and so forth that ended up getting banned from the set. Like Embercleave ended up being essentially a format defining standard card and we didn't even manage to get it in our top 10 list at all, which definitely a huge miss. Yeah. 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 Huge miss on our part there. I mean, I don't even think I had all my like honorary mentions. <laughs> I, I wonder though, if it's because me and you, Krim, like you're kind of the control player i'm the dirtle player like <laughs> maybe it's more that we just underestimate it because it's like such an aggro card and kind of outside of our wheelhouse do you think that plays into it like just our own personal biases and play styles yeah and on top of that you, you gotta remember it we came from a format where aggro was kind of a joke right yeah. like you couldn't play aggro <laughs> and because, it's equipment and we've come right. out of a decade where equipment has been a joke so it, it was very hard for me to believe like an equipment was going to be a dominant card in standard just because wizard had been so conservative all the way back to new phyrexia since they really printed you know good let alone format defining equipment cards so it was pretty easy for me personally to write it off just based on that like oh it's an equipment wizards doesn't print good equipment anymore so this must you know not actually be that good correct i mean i i'm right there with you so yeah definitely definitely blinded by first off my own play style and from like the way uh you know the just the the format was so not not surprised i mean the idea of like actually having creatures attack and the combat step well i mean i guess does the combat step matter because of that card i mean that card blanks the combat step right <laughs> ah, these excuses these excuses crim you should be envisioning dying to ember cleave you're like oh I, oh I my planeswalker is oh. getting cleaved left and right how can i deal with this instant speed equipment coming down i have to kill to, before to combat it was I legal to fairy was legal uh, <laughs> remember yes. that <sighs> Teferi. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I think that that's Eldraine in a nutshell. Like, I, I think Embercleave could be one of the best cards in Eldraine because of longevity. Everything else oh, is God. banned. It is still legal. <laughs> so maybe it just takes the crown for being most played. <laughs> it wins by default. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, lots of powerful cards from Eldraine. Uh, I, I'm actually curious now. I, I want to pull up the top ten list afterwards and see how many how many staples were in there because little did we know that Eldraine would go on to dominate Standard to basically to this very day. All right. Uh, next up, we are moving to the land of Godzilla uh, with Ikoria, and uh, let's see what you guys had to say about Ikoria. So we have another enchantment, but this one, uh, the floor is much higher, I would say. It's really hard for this one to go wrong, thanks to cycling, and that is Shark Typhoon. <laughs> so, uh, Krim, where, where are you, uh, Sharknadoing in standard? Whatever deck 
that can cast this, I think, in blue, it's so good. Like, this feels like it's good at all phases of the game. Yeah, I think it's that flexibility uh, is really what makes this card. There are going to be games where it just sits on the battlefield and it's insane. There's going to be games where you just cycle it for, like, four mana or five mana and make a instant speed blocker to eat an attacker or make a threat to attack down a planeswalker or whatever. It's really hard for it to be bad. I mean, even the floor of just two mana cycle it, not even get a shark, it's not really the end of the world. Like, well, a lot of cards are two-mana cycling. Uh, so I feel like Shark Typhoon has potential kind of across archetypes outside of aggro. Like, control decks can play it as a finisher. You have, like, the combo-y uh, wilderness reclamation decks that can play it. There's a lot of places that this card can show up, and the flexibility just really makes it possible. Correct. Does this count? Seth seems yeah. to believe this card will be on the battlefield doing things. <laughs> I okay. When I say cast, I meant cycle or do anything with it <laughs> because because it was it, it like you could do whatever right. You could cast it. You can cycle it like uh, whatever a decree of justice. Uh, you know, like this. This is just. I mean, it's still true, and it, it holds up to this day. And at that point, we had wilderness reclamation. So why not make some big shark tokens? Actually, yeah, in that exact clip, I mentioned Wilderness Wreck because of that, right? Like, oh, it's, and it's, ah, it's such a good card. Those were I scary mean, times with Wilderness Wreck. <laughs> I, I think we did pretty well with that one. We ended up in our combined list. We had Shark Typhoon at number four, which, if anything, we probably were actually underrating it. I think looking back on Ikoria, it might actually just, it's probably the number one card, honestly, out of the set as far as how much play it's seen and how impactful it's been. Uh, so I feel like though, we definitely get, we get credit for that one because that was a card that did end up being you know, a staple of standard and other formats as well. So I, I feel pretty good about that prediction. I'm going to discredit I, myself right now because I know for a fact I left a good amount of companions off the list. <laughs> <laughs> so any brownie points I made off this, I need to. I need it so it can pad the stack. Oh, all right. Well, well, I think well, it gets worse. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, the, the top list should be filled with companions, pre-nerf companions. Uh, but hold on, we're, we're getting there. Let, let's play the next clip here. I still am struggling to understand uh, why this card was printed. Titan's Nest, the Salty member of the enchantment cycle, could potentially add a little bit of mana, let's say. Uh, Krim, what are you doing with Titan's Nest in Standard? I mean, I, I don't know what I can't do. Every time we've had a Delve card, it's been absurdly broken. I just don't know what else we could really talk about. I mean, like, the ability to just add that color, that free mana is insane. Absolutely absurd. The value is so immense once it gets going. So I feel like uh, this card really frightens me. Out of all the cards on the list that we talked about today, many of them are very good, and I expect them to see a lot of play. This is a card that I have a little bit of fear could be actually, like, broken in standard. If there's a card that we're all like, oh, my God, I wish they didn't print this. Why do I got to play against it again? <laughs> I think Titan's Nest is the most likely card for standard on the list. In standard, I think this is just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. yeah I think it definitely deserves to come in at the top of our best Ikoria cards for standard. Uh, Agreed. Oh, the best Ikoria card, Titan's Nest. <laughs> Okay, okay, so so <laughs> let me, in my defense, you got to remember where we were at when Ikoria came out. We were in a time where mana doublers were dominating standard, and we had Wilderness Rack, and we had Fires of Invention, we had Nissa, we had all these cards. So at the time, I was 
very sensitive to anything that looked like it would come down for four mana and immediately add a ton of mana. Uh, so I think that that's why I was so high on and scared of Titan's Nest. Obviously, in hindsight, that fear was very unfounded for probably a bunch of different reasons. Like Titan Nest, it does have big restrictions. It is really hard to play on Magic Arena without timing out. So that, I think that actually does play into it a little bit as well. And plus, we have like Uro, which is eating away your graveyard, and Croxa, which is eating away your graveyard. So if you're going to spy cards from your graveyard, we just had better things to do than Titan's Nesting. So I think there were some legitimate reasons. I was uh, like high on it and scared of it at the time, but boy, is that like a laughably bad number one card. And I believe that we <laughs> each had that on yep. our individual list at number one, too. So it's not even a case where like one of us really pushed for it and the other one was against it. I think we were both like, yeah, this is a number one card. Duh, obviously. <laughs> it was a way to ex- like, okay, yeah. Anything that, like, like Seth had mentioned, that kind of cheats on resources and helps accelerate anything, of course. That's, that's the main thing I hate, except this one, I guess, doesn't do anything upon hit immediately hitting the board. Okay. All right. All right. But, but I, I just, at that time, anything that's cheating on resources, come on, right? We, we, we had to deal with that already. Yeah. I, I think it just did a lot of nothing, but we already had ways to cheat on resources in the format. Yeah. And I guess ways that cheat on so resources that ways. were their own win condition too, right? So. Yeah. So yeah, Titan's Nest, uh, number one card from Ikoria. All right. So, is there any chance that we get redeemed before it rotates, Grim? Like, do you think? Is no. there any chance we end up? Yeah, I was thinking that too. We're probably we're probably just dead in the water on this one. We're not gonna be saved. I wish I could like slightly lie about it. Uh, well, you know, no. They, they, they <laughs> literally print dredge cards. <laughs> dredge right. got a new toy. <laughs> Uh, next, next up, clip. we have some companions. We have Luris of the Dream Den. I only like this in like modern. Like if, if it's going to get played, I think it's something in modern, but in standard, I, I don't know how you could play a deck. I don't think this. we have enough permanence in standard. I think it's standard. This card's good. Not as a companion. Is there even a companion that you can, that you would play in constructed? Like, at, like just because of its companion, like. Can, uh, can we make any of them work? How about uh, Yorian? I think this I mean, is the best companion. This one... <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the easiest one to play. I feel like playing all the other companions make you not play cards that your deck really wants... This just makes you play more cards. So you get to play everything you want. Yes, you're going to lose a little bit of consistency, but you gain an eight-card starting hand, essentially. You guys tripped it. This card's terrible. <laughs> it's standard. You can throw in more ops and stuff, but they're not free, right? They cost mana. You can't like just pad your deck out infinitely. So uh, I actually think this is terrible. Like, I think the power of having an extra card in your starting hand is something people haven't grasped. I think it would definitely be worth it for a whole bunch of decks and a lot of other companions as well. Like, that's a huge shift in the percentage from exactly one additional card than your opponent has. But in standard, and at least with London Mulligans and everything, I mean, we've already seen in, like, the past year that card advantage doesn't necessarily always win the games anymore, right? Are you gaining more than you're losing? That's where it becomes really hard to figure out without having actually played the card. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what happens because all of these weird decks. I think Sam Black called this like the best card or whatever. Uh, so I, I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. 
Next up, we have... All right, editor betrayed me. <laughs> I am in this list. <laughs> Seth, tried to leave us. Seth tried his hardest <laughs> to actually put forth the strengths of companion. And me and Krim were like, nah, what are you talking about? <laughs> you, you guys be tripping, I think was the, the exact quote. Yeah. <laughs> I, you hear the doubt. Like, even slid on even Sam Black thinks this is good. Like, come on, Sam. <laughs> Richard slipped on his sunglasses. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Tripping. Oh, uh, companions dominated every format to the point where they're like, we just need to change the whole mechanic. <laughs> That's how yeah. bad this was. That extra card is worth a lot. <laughs> a very, 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 very large amount that everyone updated their vintage decks and legacy decks and modern decks and standard decks to just play these cards. <laughs> I I feel a little good that I was the one that was trying to convince people that companions were better than they thought, but at the same time, like, I don't even think I was high enough on them. Even I, like, uh, probably didn't go far enough, because I was kind of at the point where, like, oh yeah, I think Yarion's good, I think Loris is especially good in older formats, but really, Abash, Garuda, are you really going to play all evens or all odds in your decks? And even those companions that look like the bad ones, the ones that would be really hard to build around, ended up being, like, legitimate top-tier cards, all the way back to, like, Legacy, Abash still sees playing modern, even after the nerfing. So even though I was, like, pushing for them to be better, or for you guys to think they were better than uh then you want to give him credit for i think i still was underestimating them at that point i mean oh i had them so low i was uh, <laughs> I, I i wish uh, we're only doing standard but i kind of wish that we had our we were doing modern because i'm pretty sure you literally laughed at me for having yari on it like number two or something like i think you literally <laughs> laughed when i said it in the video you're like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because at that point, I remember you were, like, pushing for Yorion no matter what on, like, oh. the format. You're like, Yorion, Yorion, Yorion. Like, there's no way an 80-card deck would make sense. I will humbly take that L. And <laughs> it, it still blows my mind that Yorion is good. Like, I, I still don't even grasp it to this day, even though I've been destroyed by it many times, that the... There are enough good cards in all the formats, uh, standard especially, that there, there's enough depth to the card pool that you can actually uh, blow up your deck to that uh, deck size and still have it be like a top tier deck. It's, it's like something really hard for me to grasp. I'm always like, only play 40 cards in limited, never play 41, right? Like if, if you play 41, you've given up on life, right? Like Literally last night I went up to 44. <laughs> <laughs> Not even, it wasn't even like yesterday, this was like six hours ago when I ended my stream. (laughs) Ah, what's the 44 card special? Is that even that bad? (laughs) How much of that do you think is because of like 2019-2020 design? Like, do you think if Yarion was printed in the same form like five or ten years ago, do you think it would still be as impactful? Uh, Or do you think it's because we get so many powerful cards these days, you can build an AD card deck and have it work? I think I think it is definitely that right when when you think about how powerful standard had uh, like has become, um, yeah, not surprised that you can build an eighty card deck and you know what turns out you can just load it up with ops <laughs> and things like that because yeah. 
Yeah, like <laughs> Omen of the Sea, like all of that, like all the omens ended up being a lot better than, you know, I for sure thought they were. Uh, so, like, yeah, Yorion, no surprise. I mean, 80 cards when all of it's just pure action? <laughs> like, sure, why not? Uh, all right. Yeah. Oh, companions. So, oh, oh, no, I went out of order. I missed... I missed. I, I got a, my my list sorted out of order. There was a set that we missed in between that we yeah. all forgot about. Pharaohs <laughs> beyond death. Uh, so let's see what you guys had. Uh, we'll jump back to the past some more and see what you guys had to think uh, say about Pharaohs beyond death. Whoa, Strider. This card, when I first saw it, I was super excited. It has been quite yeah. a while mm-hmm. since we've had a repeatable free sack outlet in standard. We've had sack outlets, we've had good sack outlets, but we haven't really had the sits on the battlefield, you can sacrifice your entire board at will, like Nantucko husk type of sacrifice outlet. And we're in a standard where aristocrats are already seeing play. We got mayhem devils, we got cat ovens, we got core yep. vaults, so there's already like built in synergies for this card. So I'm really excited about this card. I don't know exactly where it fits immediately, but I would bet you that someone like Sam Black is going to like build some busted standard deck with this card, and everyone's going to be playing it a couple months from now. So, I will say, so Woe Strider was number five on our Theros Beyond Death list. Uh, our number one and number two cards were Erwin Karaxa, and those were obviously good picks, but we decided not to go with that as our biggest hit from the set because... They were so obvious, <laughs> and, and we don't really need to say more about Uro. When Woe Strider was not as obvious, I don't think, at the time, that it was going to be a number one card, and it definitely ended up being uh, a legitimate top-tier standard card. I mean, to the point where we had Sacrifice deck being targeted with bannings, with uh, Cauldron Familiar getting banned, and, like, Jun Sacrifice being the best deck in the format. So, I think we nailed that one, Krim. Yeah, because, I mean, history also really helped with that, right? Anytime there's been a free sack outlet, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's been good. <laughs> and I mean, like, Nantucko Husk was a staple, and Nantucko Husk was, like, strictly worse Woe Strider in a bunch of ways, and that was, like, right. best card in Rally and Standard and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we did have history on our side, I think. Yeah, because that, that's, and, like, one that can you can reoccur? Why not? Definitely. Yeah, and I think you guys should get credit for Uro and Kroxa, because... You know, the the statement that they were obviously very good, you also applied to, like, Circle of Loyalty, which was a yeah. big miss. <laughs> so, like, when you okay. actually hit All the right. very obviously good ones, I think we need to pat ourselves on the back, right? I, I think... <laughs> You know, I remember there's like all these cards that like look so good that just don't pan out. But in this case, Erwin Croxon went on to dominate all the formats. Uh, and then Will Strider, uh, you guys also hit the circle of loyalty. <laughs> we just forget that we had that. <laughs> Uh, I already forgot, Richard. I, I already you sent you a copy of it signed so I can frame it. <laughs> 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 I, I, just, I just bought some like collector booster uh, <laughs> circle of one, one circle I, I, of loyalty for me and De- Titan's yeah. nest for Seth. <laughs> I, I heard I heard they're the next big thing in standard. I gotta get them in before the price spikes, you know. <laughs> All right, <laughs> next up from Theros Beyond Death. This might be one of my favorite cards from the set. It might be my favorite card from the set. Nightmare Shepherd. And this card is just... It is a demon. Oh, it's a demon. So Crib loves it. It's kind of like a weird Panormonicon. If you sack enter the battlefield trigger, it comes back. You get another... 
You get another copy of uh, the Enter the Battlefield creature in token form. So uh, I'm very hyped for this card. Kind of across archetypes. I think Aristocrats, this could be very powerful in the sac- uh, self-sacrifice synergy decks. I plan on playing it heavily in the Mono Black Devotion deck. I think that's one of the better cards. You can like sack your Grey Merchant and get it back and double drain. You can play it as just a good value card. And it also has some interesting combo potential, I think, as well. Yeah. Like, I, I think this card is... <laughs> I am just a huge fan of this card. I mean, it does suck that you have to exile a creature or else I'd be doing things like playing this and just getting a 1-1 copy of like, I don't know, Cruxa or, or, or one of the giants or something like that. But, you know, still pretty good. Yeah, it's still good, even with that little drawback. Nightmare in Shepherd. <laughs> in, in our defense, I don't feel like this is a... Uh, a circle of loyalty level with because I we definitely have seen people play Nightmare Shepherds a little bit. Is it definitely way <laughs> overseeded at number three on our list? Yes. Should it probably be off the list altogether? Probably, but it's not like circle of loyalty where like no one has ever played it or something. So I think for me, I like to try to think about why I whiff on uh, spoiler predictions to improve for the future. And I think another one of my biases is things that look like Panharmonicon. I even mentioned it in that <laughs> clip. Like, oh, it's like a Panharmonicon. You double up your ETB triggers. So if it looks a little bit like Panharmonicon, I'm probably going to wait it or rate it way higher than I should. <laughs> I, I My my excuse was that it was a demon and I immediately put it in my EDH deck. And so... uh. It just seemed like something that was pretty sweet. It was uh, able to, like, get around board wipes and stuff like that. So, you know, I I thought there was value there. And maybe you could take advantage of the fact that you would get a 1-1 copy, even if you exile whatever it is. So, and, yeah. okay, I mean, Richard. to be fair, the first week of the new format, it was a pretty scary card, right? People are playing Mono Black Devotion. Uh, they had Woe Strider, Grave Merchant, Nightmare Shepherd. They're just draining you. It looked pretty impressive. And if you did get board wiped, you could recover. The thing is, we didn't account for people who were playing Uro, right? And board wipes were useless, so no one was board wiping, right? Uh, so the, the metagame interactions play a big role. I do think if this was another format, uh, Nightmare Shepherd could have been like an all-star. Like imagine uh, going way back to like Pack Rat days or something. Maybe Nightmare Shepherd would have been, you know, a, a monster there. But with Uro going around and all the unfair mana and stuff happening, just it was too fair of a card to get anything done. Uh, so I don't think it's as egregious as Circle of Loyalty. I think it could still be a good card uh, in the right formats. <laughs> yeah, Mono Black Devotion as a whole, I think, was an archetype I think I was also excited to see come back. And with Gary getting announced, all that, it just, it kind of just felt like, okay, well, that it's got to be an archetype right gary's got to be good enough no turns out that whole world uh is just wrong right like they're they're, mono black devotion is nowhere near the level of what you know green and decks were doing so why why even try to play too that fair of a magic card yeah that's what i was gonna say i think that a big part of the problem was that we just overrated Mono Black Devotion, because if you look back on our list, Nightmare Shepherd number three, Erebos, was number four right behind it, another Mono Black Devotion card. So I think we were just way too high on Mono Black Devotion, and I think you guys really hit on the reasons. Like, Nightmare Shepherd is, like, objectively a powerful magic card, but when you consider at that time, on turn four, people were playing Wilderness Rex and Fires of Inventions and things like that, Nightmare Shepherd is just a little bit on the fair side compared to what was actually 
actually happening with top tier standard decks uh, back when Theros Beyond Death was uh, new in a big part of the format. People were playing Wilderness Wreck on turn four. Usually it's on turn three. <laughs> yeah. They've accelerated a ton of mana. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're untapping their lens and countering your Nightmare yeah. Shepherd. Yeah. By the turn you can cast it. <laughs> Correct. That sounds right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Vegas Omission, again, has to be pulled from a daily spoiler because it was just totally omitted from any top ten list. A new saga. Elspeth conquers death. The obvious comparison, I would say, is the Eldest Reborn. Eldest Reborn, Lore Counter 1, opponent sacks a creature, Planeswalker. Elspeth uh, basically lets you choose, which is nice. Yes, you can't hit a super aggressive creature, but CMC 3 or greater, that does cover a lot of the best threats in the format. Lore Counter number 2, meh. Elspeth conquers death isn't very good. Eldest Reborn reanimates Lore Counter number 3, so does Elspeth conquers death. Oh, it's worth mentioning, Eldest Reborn reanimates creature planeswalker from any graveyard why else with conquerors death only hits your graveyard so that's something to keep in mind you can't like kill your opponent's planeswalker i guess it wouldn't work with elspeth conquerors death anyway because of exiles but you can't do the eldest reborn trick where you like kill your opponent's powerful planeswalker with the edict and then reanimate it a couple turns later so i feel like this card's pretty powerful also has amazing art. Uh, I don't think it's quite as good as Aldus Reborn, honestly. The removal aspect, I think, is more powerful. Second lore counter, they're both kind of not very powerful. But then the third lore counter is much more powerful, I believe, on the Eldest Reborn. Eldest Reborn, though, saw a lot of play. So even a slightly worse overall Eldest Reborn, probably still going to be good enough for at least some decks in standard. <laughs> It's not too bad. It's not too bad. I, I can't tell you how many times that second chapter has stopped me from playing. <laughs> I'm just thinking back right now, listening to that. Oh, how many times could I not cast whatever follow-up spell now that you've answered my first one? Yeah, that's that's the bit of analysis that stood out to me, too. Like, I definitely underestimated the second lore, lore counter and how annoying it could be. Uh, it's definitely also wrong that it's worse than Eldest Reborn. Uh, I guess maybe oh, yeah. overrated Eldest Reborn a little bit, because Elspeth Conqueror's Death has proven to be much, much better. And there were times when it was maybe, like the best card, one of the best cards, and not the best probably, because we had some busted cards, but it was among the best cards in standard. It's fallen back a little bit recently, but definitely a huge oversight to not have it on our top 10 list at all, especially considering, uh, you know, some of the other cards we've been talking about that did make the list, the Erebos's of the world and Nick's Lotus's yeah. of the world. Like, uh, no doubt Elspeth Conqueror's Death probably wouldn't be top two, because it would still be behind Uro and Croxa, but definitely probably should have been as high as, like, the number three slot instead of yeah. being on the list at all yeah like i we, i think another thing is we didn't factor into like you know it seemed like a greedy line but who would have known that this actually worked out uh like you know three fairy bouncing it back <laughs> yeah, and well i i, Yarian, I thought yarian yep. wasn't a thing at that point and yarian right. really picked up the amount of play that uh that elspeth conquerors does thaw so we were working with incomplete information i guess to some extent all right so next was Ikoria, which we already covered. And then following Ikoria, we had Corset 2021. Uh, let's see what the biggest hit was. And uh, Ugin was in the set. And we're just going to admit Ugin because we all know how good Ugin is. So here is your biggest hit. We have a card that... <laughs> I know you're not as high on Krim, but I am really <laughs> high on Demonic Embrace. Uh, just this three-mana aura that, to me, 
it reminds me a little bit of a cross between uh, like Ranker, a little bit like Angelic Destiny, and both of those cards were very good whenever they were in Standard, and the reason I'm pretty high on it is twofold. One is, I think there could be a sweet Black Aggro style deck, like slamming this on a Rotting Registrar, for example, and we still got like Knight of Eben Legion. We have some good Black Aggro pieces. The other reason I'm hyped for it is, we've seen like Black-White Auras be floating around on the fringes of Standard, and this seems like a really easy inclusion for a deck like that that maybe gets better uh, with some of the new pieces coming into the format. I think the the other downside is with the White-Black Aura deck that I didn't actually mention is it would, part of the opportunity cost is you would give up uh, playing Loris as a companion. How much that matters post-nerfing? Less than it did before, but it still is something to keep in mind that you would give up Loris to play this as well. Correct. Demonic Embrace. <laughs> Seth, you really like that card. I think you had that, like, I think third or fourth on your list. Or yeah, my, I, I think actually it might have been top three. I, I had it very high. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can actually pull up my list, but yeah, I had it, I had it super high on my standard list and uh, it ended up being decent. I think maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I overrated it. Is it really top three? I don't know, but it definitely did end up being a playable card in this is our hit section by the way since m21 (laughs) did see much play in standard (laughs) i mean i think though my analysis was pretty good like if people were throwing it on rotting registers and like that is what happened and it did work it's kind of faded away lately since rotation and registrar is gone but i feel like it definitely needed to be on the list and maybe it wasn't an obvious choice so i i think that was a a pretty good uh, a little bit outside the lines or like oddball prediction that actually ended up working out in this case all right, and Krim was know. not swayed by the deep demonic <laughs> aspects of the card. He did not jump on the hype bandwagon for demonic embrace. Uh, but yeah, the, the little the little three one jumpy jumpy recursion action, uh, especially on Regisaur, got there for a while. This this was pretty did, meta for a while. <laughs> did, was it? Was it not? I mean, I, <laughs> it's it saw something on the play. I mean, it saw play, yes, when it first came out, and then it, like, that's just because, you know, well, we're all trying new things, right? <laughs> but but I still I mean, feel like that card is, I mean, it, it's good in, like, Pioneer. <laughs> I, I saw that in Pioneer and not a black aggro, but, like... Are, 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 we, are, we, are we switching this to a, a miss, then? Uh, I, I'm going to defend this as a hit, because I'm looking at the deck list now, and if... You go back and just, like, search for uh, Demonic Embrace on mtgoldfish.com, shameless uh, Tomer-style plug in the middle of a video. Uh, if you go back and search, though, there were a lot of mono black lists between, like, August and September. Like, it was kind of a real thing. Uh, yes, it only lasted for, like, a month, and it hasn't really seen play since rotation, but I think that it counts as a hit. I'm going to argue that it counts as a hit, based on the amount of play that it did see before rotation. <laughs> I don't know if we'll count it a hit. How about we call it a bunt? All right. (laughs) (laughs) A bunt is very crucial, okay? It does its job. (laughs) I will accept a a bunt, yes. (laughs) All right. uh, Next clip. Spark Hunter Masticore, our new Planeswalker sniper. And uh, what do you think about this one, Krim? I think it lives up to its name. So this will kill Planeswalkers and... You know, when we've got a lot of three-mana Planeswalkers that need to be dealt with, I'm kind of liking this. New Teferi, like, all those things. Like, this card, it even survives New Ugin. That, all that is Ugins. True. It is the ultimate, the <laughs> ultimate uh, foil to Ugins, which... Right. 
we're at a very planeswalker heavy uh standard we still have war of the spark for a few more months we have teferis and nissas we have a lot of really good planeswalkers we have more good planeswalkers coming with course at 2021 itself and this feels like a really good answer because it's not narrow i'm pretty high in this card as well i don't think that discarding a card is a huge downside and if you're discarding like a croxa or an uro maybe it's even an upside sometimes yeah definitely like there's tons of targets that you're willing to throw away from your hand I think the only the only drawback I would say is Brazen Borrower does line up pretty well with it, and Elspeth Conqueror's Death yeah. is a way to answer it through Indestructible, so there is drawbacks, but even with that in mind, there's so many Planeswalkers running around that I think that uh, Spark Hunter Massacre definitely has a place in the format. Our savior, <laughs> Spark <laughs> Hunter Massacre. This is a gotcha down, Spark Hunter Massacre. Teferi give you troubles, Spark Hunter Massacre. <laughs> In Nissa. our defense, War of the Spark was in the format. There were many Planeswalkers, although I guess the bad news is, even before War of the Spark rotated, no one ever no played one, Spark. I, I, I remember uh, this card. Hold, I played it. <laughs> oh, Did you play it in your main deck, Scrim? I remember you yeah. having it in your sideboards. Was, was it... Were you glad that you played it, or did it no, quickly leave the deck? No, because <laughs> every time I played it, it would just get blocked by all of Nissa's lands. Yep, I, I remember I tried this in my decks. This is the most useless card ever because you two for one yourself when they have any removal. It doesn't have haste, so it can't even kill anything quickly enough, and it, it was just bad. Even when you're facing a deck full of planeswalkers, you're like, I'd rather have literally any other card than this Spark Hunter Masticore. <laughs> I, I think we might have overestimated how many one mana to ping a Planeswalker activation it takes to kill something like an Ugin. We're like, hey, it's an Ugin answer. We're like, no, seriously, yeah. like, that's, that, you gotta spend eight mana to try to ping it down. Like, re- really? What were we thinking at the time? Honestly, yeah, I don't under... I, I don't know. I <laughs> like Because... It got blocked by everything. <laughs> we, we believed. We believed in Watsi. We thought this was the answer to the Planeswalker heavy, you know, meta, and that Wizards actually gave us an answer. But it was just, it was just troll. It was, it was a nothing. lie. <laughs> it did it nothing. Was, it was a lie. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up. Village Rights is definitely powerful. One mana instant speed. Sack a creature. Draw two cards. Uh, that's about as cheap and as instant as this effect can get it'll be interesting traditionally this effect hasn't seen staple level play but if you're playing a sacrifice style deck a one mana cantrip to draw two does seem pretty powerful all right daily spoiler because it was omitted from your top 10 list village rights so i gotta ask you crib so we we both left uh, village rights off our list and village rights has proven itself to be great in standard good in other formats do you think that it's rarity played into that at all? I've noticed when I tend to put together my top 10 list, I look at the whole set, but it's much easier for me to gloss over commons than it is for like rares or mythics that I spend a lot of time really like thinking about trying to figure out. Do you think that the fact that this was a common led to it not being on our list or do we just like straight up whiff for another reason? I, I don't know about why it wasn't on your list, but for me, <clears throat> I don't I don't think that just because it's rarity it's left off my list because they, there's tons of powerful comments. Um I I think I just chose to not put it on the list because first off it's it feels like one of those effects where I don't know if I now when I think about it and how ridiculous this sounds I just don't think it was good because I think I'm used to the whole anything with as an additional cost, right? That we're, we're talking like the all, all 
the past has an additional cost. Sack a creature, draw X amount of cards, right? The, those those commons and uncommon spells that we had. Like, what is it? Uh, the altar? I, I can't remember. Uh, altar, Altar's Reap, I think, is altar's the two-mana one. Yeah, the two-mana one. But it being one mana was all the difference. So I I just kind of felt like with with the way history played out, uh, with a lot of these effects, I just didn't care too much about it. And it just didn't seem to make that big of a, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't flashy, right? I think that was another thing that factored into it. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't like the rest of 2019 forward. It didn't do 19 things at once. It only drew two cards. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a huge part of it for me, at least. Um, but rarity does not have a fat, like does not factor into it at all because there are tons of powerful commons. Yeah. I think for me, it's easier for me, I think, to miss a common than a rare or a mythic. Uh, but I do think this is an especially bad pick for us because of where the meta was at at the time. Like, Loris was a pretty big thing. Sacrifice was a pretty big thing. So there were even, like, obvious homes for this. You already were Cauldron Familiaring. Like, this seems like a really obvious card to play in a Cauldron Familiar deck. So I feel like we probably should have figured this one out just based on the meta and its mana cost. So I feel like this is actually, it's not Circle of Loyalty, but I feel like it was actually a pretty bad <laughs> pick to leave out or a pretty bad omission. It'll never be as powerful as Circle. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing will. Nothing will. I, I legitimately still stand by, like, I, if, would, would I, knowing what I know now, right, I, I, I think I still understand my reasoning behind it, only because it just didn't feel like it did enough, which, coming from the format that we were used to, legitimately, it, there were so many things that did nine things at once, right? There was Narset everywhere, so I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, obviously knowing what I know now, yeah. All right, I, I'd snap, put that in. I don't know how we didn't figure that it would go into the Sackless. Uh, maybe because also at that time, Sackless felt like they were at it, at the brim of what it can put in the deck. If this was going in the deck, it was maybe as a one or two of. Because oh. the list felt so tight, right? Like, th there, there was no room to add new cards. Yeah, and I guess on the other side, you do bring up a good point. Like, when this came out, Teferi was still a card, so it shuts down, like, the instant speed sack in response to removal or sack my Croxa with the trigger on the stack. Right. And Narset was in the deck, so or in the format, so that would shut down the card all together. So even though, like, sack was a thing, I can see, looking at it from the opposite perspective, there were some really powerful cards that just, like, were everywhere and kind of accidentally hosed this card at the time. So maybe that's part of why we left it off the list, although... Right. I still think we probably I mean, should have gave it more credit. May, yeah, definitely should have given it more credit. But I think from also the times that I played against it, right? I mean, I had Narsets and all these things out, and it just didn't feel like it mattered. <laughs> yes, so, yes. Grim has his stacks Planeswalkers, so he's not scared yeah. of little, <laughs> little old draw two and yes. speed. <laughs> he's hold, he's Narset, holding his okay. counter spell for Spark Hunter Master Core. We know what he's doing. <laughs> okay, the Master Core was not in the deck. That was, I tried. I tried. I sure as heck tried. That was not good. It was very bad. <laughs> it was very bad. You know, right. it wasn't a circle of loyalty, but it was bad. <laughs> now we go to present day. Zendikar rising uh zendikar rising brought big daddy avnath and here's this what is one that i'm super high on Krim, i don't think you had this on your yeah. list at all this i think this might be the <laughs> card that we have the most uh, differing opinion on omnath locust of creation <laughs> so omnath my argument for omnath being good is 
Omnath, it's a four mana four four. So you got good stats. It hits the mark on doing something right away with the enter the battlefield draw card triggers. And then gaining four life, that's not really game breaking, but it is definitely nice, especially against aggro. It'll swing the race in your favor. And theoretically, you're going to be gaining that four life, presumably every turn, as long as you're hitting a land drop. The adding a mana ability allows for some crazy explosive plays. And then the removal option is pretty strong as well. Like if you get three land drops, you're hitting your opponent for four direct damage to close out the game. So my only concern, my only concern with this card is the mana cost. Like every other thing about this card does something when it comes into play. It can take over the game if it sticks out, but it is four colors of mana. Is that going to be a deal breaker in our upcoming standard with Shocklands rotating? I'm betting that it's not, but if it does fail, I think it's going to be because of the mana cost. I'm hopeful that there will be decks that can overcome it and make Omnath very good, but yeah. we'll find out in a, in a couple of weeks yeah. once Syndicate Rising is actually seeing play. Seth is hopeful yeah. that Omnath sees some play in standard. <laughs> I, I remember this card during the podcast, and I was really negative on it. I'm like, how can you cast this? Four different Same. colored mana? That seems impossible. Seems like the people at Wizards thinks like us, too. Uh, four different colored mana, not a thing, especially when you have Lotus Cobra in the format. And uh, Cultivate and other such cards, very easy to accomplish. And uh, Seth's wish came true. The monkey's paw curled. Wait, and, way to uh, go, Seth. Way to go. <laughs> I, I wish was I was wrong on this one, honestly. Like, I wish that it just didn't see play. That would have been much better for the game overall, I think. I, I Yeah, like, I, I'm right there, right? I was... I mean, the card was good, right? The card was very good if you could cast it. And that was my big thing. I mean, I just couldn't see a world where you could cast it. If Sure, there was Lotus Cobra, but let's say the Lotus Cobra died, right? In that situation, uh, hypothetically, Omnath player would be stuck and not able to do anything. Not true. Even without it, they could still get the mana, uh, and cast it. And I, uh, if you, if, if it weren't, if it weren't for the mana cost, I, it would have been on my list. But because of its four colors, it, with without Shocklands, I just could not see a world with it. I was I was gonna say that like in Crim's defense, uh, we didn't get to hear much from him in the clip that we listened to, but I definitely remember that your current your concern was not like Omneth being bad. Like you knew it was good and you thought it was good, but your concern was purely based on mana. So I think that's where our disagreement was with this card was not so much like the card itself, but I guess I had more hope that the standard mana base would be good enough to support it, and you were more skeptical in the standard mana base. So yes, it wasn't on your list. But I think it wasn't you just whiffing on Omnath and being like, oh, this card isn't good. It was more like, I don't know if standards mana is going to be good enough. Yeah. I mean, the, and that that is that is still <laughs> like I, I, I'm surprised. It still shocks me a little bit to this day that four colors was possible when I couldn't even get a three color deck to work. Right. <laughs> <Are> <laughs> Granted that the missing lands? ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> the missing ingredient was green, but but yeah, if I should have known with the history of how you know green had been go- doing and like all of that, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> to to be fair, the, these breaking cards are like there is a obscure condition, uh, and we don't think you can hit it. But if you do hit it, the card is broken. I.e., companions, uh, omnath, things like that. Turns out, magic players are very good at getting around these so-called restrictions that wizards puts on the cards such that they're meaningless 
right? Delve, dredge, like all that stuff, right? People just get around the downside of the card and just get only upside. Uh, all right, next up from Zendikar Rising. The number eight on our list. Oh, I really like this card. Zar, uh, Zagris, Thief of Heartbeats. And I've generally <laughs> been skeptical of party cards, but Zar, uh, Zagris is a card that I'm actually pretty hyped about because I don't think you really need many party members for this to be good. What do you think about this six mana four four flyer, Grim? Just like you said, if you get to cast this for five, that's already good, right? If you ever have more than one creature in your party, then anything under five mana, this is a steal. Yeah, that's why I really like this card. I'm actually pretty scared of this card and expect it to be pretty good. Yeah, it's going to be picking off tons of Planeswalkers. <laughs> okay, okay. I-, I see how you made the mistake. You saw Thief of, and then your mind just put in Oko and Crown, and you're like, this has to be good. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> I'll go with that, yeah. Really? Really, though, I think this might be one where we get bailed out. Like, Zendikar Rising isn't that old. We know we're getting the D&D set that'll probably have more party tribe members. So I think there's still hope for Zagras, but I think looking at it right now, where we're at at the end of the year before we get more sets and the rest of Standard... I mean, it hasn't really done anything. And even though we were skeptical of party, we liked Zagris for some reason, even though apparently I couldn't say Zagris at the <laughs> time. Another, another, uh, another one of those cases. But I don't know. Where do we go wrong with this one, Krim? Like, what was, what was our issue with this pick? Cause I still, when I read Zagris and hear that analysis, I still actually feel the same way. Like, it should be a good card if you can cast it for four or five mana. Why isn't it? Well, okay, I wouldn't say that it's just written off right away right now, right? Because, I mean, there's still a chance, like you had mentioned. But why hasn't it gotten any play? I mean, let's be honest here. It, it's too fair. It's too fair. Like, it's even, even let's say it didn't cost six mana. It was five mana with party. Then, then maybe, maybe finally. But I don't know. It just, it feels like it doesn't do enough. There, like, this isn't a Planeswalker dominant, like, format like we thought it would be, right? There, there's, it's, I think we came from a world with War of the Spark and all this, so you kind of just expected there to be Planeswalkers left and right, but when you actually think about what Planeswalkers are being played right now, n- none, ma- not, not like Vivian, yeah. maybe, and then a little bit of Ashcock here and there. Uh, like, that, that's about it, though, right? I mean, of course, there's the big decks that are just, like, playing, like, Ugins and whatnot, but there just aren't that many Planeswalkers. <laughs> Yeah, Zagris doesn't, uh, uh, yeah, just doesn't line up with the meta the way that I was picturing it. And it might be a little bit of PTSD from War of the Spark and just being used to the opponents always having, like, three, you know, ridiculous Planeswalkers on the battlefield every single game. So I think that does definitely hurt it. I think it's also that Party ended up being as bad as we thought it was going to be. Like, I remember, I think we were both like, eh, Party just does not feel like a constructed playable mechanic. And the first three months of Zendikar Rising Standard have... <laughs> pretty much borne out party not being a constructed playable mechanic like it, i don't think i've seen hardly any actual successful party decks in standard like period none even though that was one of the big themes of zendikar rising you know what we'll revisit that because i still think with zendikar's life and the like you know still being here for a while and on top of that we have the dnd set i think the dnd set will definitely make or break party yeah, yeah i think i, I, I still think it has potential these fair cards are often like really big misses when we go like through basically all the previous seasons because they're fair. 
like they're they're not good enough that you would warp a deck to build around. Uh, so you have to have a good fair deck in those colors to begin with, and then this card would go in there. And oftentimes those colors are not good enough. And then that's considering the fact that sometimes the unfair decks are just so much better that you don't want to play a fair deck whatsoever. So I mean, even if Zagreus was just like a four mana four four, I don't know how much play it would see. Like even without any restrictions, like it would still be questionable or like a fringe include maybe it'll see questing beast level or something right but like you just don't want to warp your deck to play fair cards like if you have a fair deck and this fits fine but you you don't throw everything away like you would for uh to warp your deck around like say oko or omnath or things like that that is actually a legit win condition and worth sacrificing the rest of your deck for no i think that's a really good point because uh the other issue is the colors just don't really line up with anything. I'm looking at, like, successful standard decks on the metagame page, and there's no sort of, like, Rakdos midrange, Jund midrange. Like, uh, those decks just don't exist. The only Rakdos decks that even, like, kind of have had success recently are, like, really aggressive lure-style sacrifice decks for the most part. That's just, like, all, all really cheap creatures. So I think that it's also just... Like, there's no home. Not is there, uh, not only is there not a home for the party deck or any party deck, cause that doesn't exist. It's not like there's even just some random mid-range deck you can slot this into as a good threat, cause those colors don't really support mid-range in our current standard. Yeah, like, I mean, the col- yeah, the colors just don't line up at all. And it's kind of wild, but once again, I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful that party, as for as much of a meme as it is now, I mean, Remember, Explore was kind of a meme too, right? <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like Party is a plant for the future. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of feel like the idea wasn't for it to be competitive with Zendikar Rising, but the idea was to, like, lay the foundation for some of these tribes, and then as we get Keldheim and Strixhaven, and then eventually the D&D set, by the time we get to that, then I would not be even a little bit surprised to see a competitive party deck in standard. And who knows, maybe maybe Zagreus is part of it. Maybe we're all like sick of two mana Zagreuses next summer after we get the D and D set. That doesn't seem <laughs> is it likely? No, but is it possible? I think so. Okay, I'll set myself up for next year's review. There's no way Zagreus will see play. Like they, they have to print like a two mana creature that effectively fills your party and then maybe and that that creature has to be Rakdos somehow and then maybe you would see a Zagras play like you just wait Richard you just wait <laughs> we're gonna have a, you need to have <laughs> like two or three creatures clip. on the battlefield why are you playing a fourth one right like what are you doing you're just overextending to die right so uh, it's just inherently collected company limited. in standard you just what? wait Four and map. then also that's really what, what bad with the Zagras but whatever <laughs> Would you say we're tripping? <laughs> yes. Now yes. I will go on the record and right. say you're tripping. Now now it's for sure going to be a good mechanic. <laughs> Clip it. Clip it. <laughs> no more Zagris. Like tomorrow, Zagris breaks the open. <laughs> like what? Come on, guys. <laughs> all right. Uh, last emission. This one. I don't even know. What, what is this card? We also got a creature land and crawling bear. And so the other thing yes. I like about this card is it starts off slow. It's only a 2-2 the first time you activate it, which is not very exciting. However, 
it does grow very quickly. The second time it's a 4-4, the third time it's a 6-6, and then you're already on par with Raging Ravine, and then it gets better from there, and it's important to note, you can activate it multiple times in a turn. I think this is a pretty solid creature land for standard decks that can play it. I don't think it's going to show up too much in older formats, just because 4 is a lot to activate, and starting off with only 2 counters is a little risky, does die to a lot of removal, but a potentially powerful creature land, as we've seen with Mobilized Disc, which has been a very good card at various times, you give up the upside of getting cheaper if you have a bunch of legends on the battlefield, but you gain the upside of Crawling Barons becoming an even bigger, scarier threat if you can activate it a few times. So definitely a solid creature lad. Coming soon to Zendikar Rising. I love this card, and I think that that was... It's better than Mobilized District by a landslide. And in defense of Krim, <laughs> it was number 10 on your personal list. It was one of the cards that got cut from our combined list, but you did recognize the power of Crawling Bear. It even won me tournament. Spoiler season. <laughs> it even won me the turn because it's so good, right? I, I, I think that that land is still underrated. If you can play it and you're not like Grohl or something like that, I, I think it's solid, right? The, the removal that most people would play would be like Heartless Act hard to line up with so and eliminate there's just not enough i mean you can play eliminate it's good against rogues now right but like at the time i i just mostly saw heartless acts and a bunch of sorcery speed stuff because i had assumed that blood chief's thirst was gonna go off and that was and, and i mean it did right right off the bat um and all of that and just this got around everything yeah i think uh I think that you were actually on top of this one. The most interesting part of this being our biggest omission of Zendikar Rising is Crawling Barons, even though, as Krim was saying, it might still be underrated, it's definitely not, like, breaking standard or anything, or, like, a super heavily played card. It is a played card, but it kind of speaks to how little of an impact Zendikar Rising has had, that this is, like, our our biggest omission from the entire set, unlike a lot of the cards we've been talking about, where we were like, oh, Companions, yeah, those those are horrible. Like, Zendikar Rising just hasn't made that huge of an impact on Standard, so there's not really a ton of great omissions or things that we actually missed out on from Zendikar Rising. I, there's still time, definitely, because Zendikar Rising's the newest set, and we still have a lot of Standard to go with Zendikar Rising in it. But at this point, I feel like Zendikar Rising is one of the sets that we probably did best on as far as not having like a major omission of like a bannably good broken card or and not naming like a circle of loyalty type card is one of our best cards so i think we did good on uh, zendikar rising I, I guess also my uh love for rogues came through properly here because i mean rogues <laughs> it took a few bannings it took a few bannings but we're there <laughs> we're there rogues are now a, a tier one deck yeah yeah, you were you were right on you were right on rogues. One that we did whiff on that could have been uh, our biggest miss, but kind of boring to talk about is a soul shatter. That's a that's oh, a card yeah. that was on our top ten list that we thought like the edict for the biggest thing. That's probably going to be good, but that one hasn't worked out yet. Although that's another one where <laughs> well, you say we, that now, but you know how many people like I play on the ladder on the first week or two that had that huge behemoth thing that was uncounterable. They thought they had me. <laughs> No, <laughs> I always come ready for that nonsense. <laughs> Missed me with that nonsense. And that's what I was going to say, though. We're still got a lot more cards coming in standard. So I still, that's another one that, yes, it looks bad now that that was one of our top five cards. But that's another one where 
you know, the right card gets printed in a future set, and that could still be a legitimate, like, standard removal spell at some point. Yeah, it's, I, it's definitely still worth. It's still worth. I mean, I, it, it could be a lot better, <laughs> obviously, but, uh, you know, like you had mentioned, there's there's just got to be one or two more cards to get printed, and, and then we're back at it, right? I mean, right now, we aren't yeah. at a, a need for a ton of things that hit Planeswalkers, right? So because of that, it's easy to just play cheaper and more, I don't know, targeted removal towards creatures. I uh, Yeah, I mean, I heard there was a, a rumor that we're getting Carnage Tyrant okay, reprint well, in Keltheim, you know, <laughs> so once uh, once that happens... That is not very <laughs> is gonna be metal <laughs> or, or Viking. <laughs> he's going to have a helmet oh, this time. He's, gonna, <laughs> he's got a helmet with the horns. A helmet and a little mace. now? <laughs> <laughs> and a beard. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> All right, so those are, I guess, that's a summary of our predictions for the last year of Standard. So keep those in mind as you're listening to us evaluate cards for Keldime. Uh, We may be a little high on artifacts that pump knights. We may be a little high on masticors that slay planeswalkers but you know we, we did get the big hits we got the okos we got the omnas we got the uros so yeah i mean it's not bad i think i think we're, we're doing above average i think I, I think if i were to rate us i'd give us a b i i think that's a that's a fair grade i would probably go with somewhere in the like b b range to b b minus somewhere in there i think overall I think we do a pretty good job at evaluating powerful cards, but evaluating spoilers is a super inexact science, especially in magic, because you don't know what's coming in the next set, so you never know when a card that doesn't look like it'll do much of anything during spoiler season all of a sudden ends up being really good, and plus, in the modern era of magic, we have the added uh, confusion of constant banning, so you never know when a card's going to be too good and end up getting banned, and then your prediction ends up failing for that reason as well. So I think overall, Krim, I think we had a pretty good year with our top 10 predictions. I, Obviously, we had some big misses, <laughs> but I think overall we did pretty well. I would say we have a B, and then I think about Circle of Loyalty, and I want to just give us an F. <laughs> but, but, but. Just, uh, and there's no time, Krim. Just go <laughs> brew up a Circle of You can change the future. I break it. <laughs> just... I can There's break it. Time. <laughs> I I do think though, uh, like when it comes to evaluating too, and why we are higher on some cards. Let's just say, like in this case, uh, Titan's Nest is because of you know the way the game, like you know, we're used to a little bit of the older Magic cards too. And in old Magics, a lot of these things that are really good to us are just not that good anymore, right? Like I mean, like they're too fair. Things are, you know what I mean? If if a lot of these cards that we have rated on here are just good because of, you know, we, we it would be good in, like, 2012. It'd be a house in 2012, right? Terror of the Peaks, a monster. Absolutely terrifying in 2012. The Elder Gargaroth, sure, but, like, by 2020 standards, these are just okay cards. These are just fair. I think that's that's actually a really good point, too, that I think we're also, like, catching up with the changes in magic design, just like everyone else is. Right. And it is really easy to judge a card based on the past, you know, 15 years of magic or 10 years of magic, when really design has changed so much in just the last couple of years that maybe we got to think, uh, throw out some of those historical precedents, because a card being good enough to be really good back in 2015 or 2010 
I don't know if that means anything in 2020, honestly, in 2021, where we're at now, because the game has just changed so much, and cards have gotten so much more powerful in the last couple of years. Yeah, and, like, you know, that that's that's the big thing here. And, I mean, now I'm the issue here is I'm afraid to get <laughs> accustomed to card design and, and then start looking at newer cards and think, well, this doesn't do enough. So then every set feels like Ixalan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that that brings us to the end of episode 309 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Grip, thanks for hanging out and doing this uh, during the holiday season. Richard, thanks for hosting. That was super fun. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show this week. So, we will be back next week for the first cast of 2021 to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, everyone, have a great week. Have a happy holidays and we'll talk to you soon.